Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right-brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. For the last few months, we've been touching a lot on finances and money, specifically in the world of women in business, empowerment, and pricing. However, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general is this really seemingly scary uncharted territory for most of our culture, but especially for women who are typically left out of this big conversation. I'm really excited today to host Tansy Bajan. I am here learning alongside of all of you in this new world of cryptocurrency and specifically how it reflects our sovereignty and relationship to ourselves. Tansy is a holistic counselor, a shamanic healer, a therapist, an empowerment and meditation coach. As the crypto ethic, she's a Bitcoin and crypto coach and specifically works with women, and she guides them through the space of fundamental connection and separation in tandem to money. So Tansy, thank you so, so much for being here today. This world is so, so very new to me, and I am—I have no doubt that it's very new to all of our listeners. So I, for one, am just completely beside myself getting to have this conversation with you today. Well, thank you, Taylor, so much for having me on. I'm really excited to speak to you and to share my expertise and love of Bitcoin with everyone. Yay. Well, Tansy, why don't you go go ahead and start out? Just tell us about you. Who is Tansy Bajant? Where do you hail from? Tell us about your story. I we Just let us in. Let us hear everything. All right. So I am currently in England, in Dartmoor, in the wettest part of England in Dartmoor. So it's very green, but always kind of miserable, (laughs) but beautiful. And I am, as you said, a holistic coach, a holistic therapist and coach. And really like my journey to get here to become a Bitcoin coach and an empowerment coach is quite a long story that really starts, I would say, when I was younger in the sense that I I kind of look at my life in terms of value, in terms of looking back, I can see that every every moment I took was kind of leading me to this sense of self-value, personal value. And where it started really was around the intellect. So what I went through was an, a mind-body-spirit journey. So I started with the mind and I went into a career or um, I went and did a master's in law, in international environmental law where I wanted to change the world. I was really um, disappointed with the systems uh, and the structures that were there that kind of suppressed our connection to the natural world. And I really loved the natural world and wanted to have people see the value in it. But I came up against this construct, these systems and structures. And I thought that by doing law, I could try to overcome them. But what I found was actually a huge wall and feeling very like a lack of purpose, I diverted myself from that arena and went and decided to live in the mountains and do a lot of adventure and a lot of sports and actually be in the space that I loved. And so I spent a lot of time just living outside, just living a very like basic life. 
which was amazing and fulfilling for a while. But then I realized that I wanted to divert my my sense of purpose into um, supporting others. And so I then moved into, I came back to the UK and I moved, uh, I went into working with uh, a, shame, a shaman. Uh, so I became a shamanic practitioner and a meditation teacher. And it was this strange kind of construct where I, I started really keenly on wanting to kind of support the world in an intellectual way, meeting the resistance of structures and systems, and then going kind of completely detaching myself from that, coming back into myself, back into who I was and my value in the world. And from there, showing then how I could support others and finding their value and their truth. And then I came to Bitcoin. And it seems like a very strange thing to land in my lap. But when I saw it, I was so fascinated by this money that was essentially able to take away the power from the hands of these systems and structures that I feel so control us. And it just links to that kind of beginning part of how do we change this world? How do we actually step into our possibility, into our potential when, you know, we have these kind of constructs over us that try to define us? And so with Bitcoin, it really allows us to take our power back over our money and to basically stand up against a system that um, could basically that we want to sort of articulate and change. This is blowing my mind on so many different levels because first, like, first of all, I do business coaching and mentoring. And so I always talk to my students. The first thing that we talk about is finding your niche. And I have never heard of anybody blending so many niches that somehow still have a very common golden thread like, like you have, Tansy, how you have blended meditation and the feminine divine and uh, therapy into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is absolutely incredible. And I remember for our listeners, if you listen to the episode with uh, Jacqueline Allen, she's the one who introduced us. And when she told me about what you were doing, I was like, what? How, how does somebody blend so many, so many seemingly different niches all on their own, like standing alone into one beautiful arena. So I commend you for, for doing that and for following that gut intuition that, that you knew needed to be filled, I guess, to, to, to show up in this space. So when you talk about taking away power from the systems, can you talk more about that? Because that for me was a huge learning curve. Mike and I very, elementary started investing in crypto. It's it's not a lot, but we wanted to kind of play with it and get our feet wet. But as we got into it, it's been really um, almost overwhelming because like I've had a bank account since I was 10 and I wanted to buy Christmas gifts for my family members. And so the first thing you do is you go to a bank and you open a bank account and you have to prove that you're trustworthy and that you're reliable. And But with crypto, you completely remove that whole party and you are in charge of your finances for better or for worse, you know, or not worse, but this huge learning curve of, you know, Mike, my, my husband telling me there's nobody protecting, you know, quote unquote, protecting our, our money. This is something that we have to do. And it, it felt really daunting and overwhelming, but I'm sure that you can touch on this and probably make myself and other people feel, feel better about having that, that level of empowerment and control over our own finances. Yeah, I think, you touch on a really important concept, which is something that I'm really passionate about, which is 
essentially everyone taking responsibility back over their money as well. So the reason for that, I think I'm going to sort of start even further back, is that all my work, everything that I do is about reorientating people to the self, to the importance of oneself in relationship to the world. So all healing begins within our connection to who we are and like our place in the universe all starts within. Um, When we meet the outside environment, most of the time we can observe that the outside environment is out there and sort of we're in here. But a lot of the time with money, because we have the same words for value and worth, people can conflate this idea of money and their value like as being the same sort of thing. So if people don't have money, they feel valueless. And so there's this really interesting kind of dynamic between the human psyche and money. And what's really important is to not only remove yourself from money, so to see it as a separate entity, as an energy that you can bring to you or you can send out. It's just a mode of exchange. So firstly, just separating that and then articulating. So what I do through my work is articulating if you have any fears in relationship, like you're in relationship to that money. Are there any fears? Are there any limiting beliefs? If most of the time, if something is playing out for you that you are broke or you don't have enough money or you can't make money or you're a bad money manager, often you have the fear there and then underneath you have the belief that you are and then you perpetuate the cycle. So you end up staying in this, the very thing that you fear most. And so in order to kind of take back control is first we need to start with the self. First, we need to start with being in one's own power, taking control back over oneself, drawing back all your power into yourself and knowing that you always have choice um, and autonomy and then bringing in the money and saying, how do I want to have a, you know, what is the relationship I want to have with this money? And then essentially you need to nurture that money as if it's a relationship. And so to just sort of purchase something and then forget about it or to ask your bank to do something for you or to rely on even your government to kind of control your money for you. If you are still connected to that money in a very fundamental way in terms of your value, you are essentially feeling controlled by the system, by the bank, by the the state. It can actually have a direct impact on on your ability to, to feel free. And so when we take back control of ourselves and our money, we also need to take back that responsibility. And something like Bitcoin is, it's particularly designed to not be in the hands of any individual, to not be manipulatable or corruptible or for any centralized organization to oversee it. So no banking, no government. It's a completely global um, system of finance that is essentially just designed on an algorithm. It's a sort of a data system. So there's no one in control of it. And so when you buy it, when you have Bitcoin, for example, let's start with that, because Bitcoin is the most important cryptocurrency, in my opinion. It is the one that is disrupting the financial system and is the most secure. And so when you take that Bitcoin, you ha- you are completely in control. So you have to set up a wallet to have that Bitcoin in. You All of the codes to get into that wallet are yours and yours alone. And you are taking responsibility to manage that wallet. And that moment is really interesting when I teach people about Bitcoin. Um, that moment of taking the power back, it's, you see people crumble when they go, oh, I don't want the responsibility. And it's so interesting right. to throw it away. You know, someone else You, you become the, the bank, like you become right. the bank. And that's, yeah. it's overwhelming. 
I can I can see why people that you work with are like, just kidding. I don't I don't want this. <laughs> yeah. But it's an amazing thing to say, I don't want to take responsibility over something that is fundamental to our existence in this society. So we say, why don't we have enough of it? Or you know, I don't know what I'm doing with it, but it's like you need to take responsibility for it and to claim your responsibility over it. That's part of your sovereignty. That's part of your, you know, relationship to yourself, to this society, to money. If you trust the bank more than you trust yourself, you are already giving power away. And so, and that's what a lot of people are confronted with. And that's what we I work through. So that's how I blend the empowerment coaching, the counseling that, that I do. I bring that in to support people in moving through their fears of taking responsibility because it's been kept from us for so long in our system. And actually, if we can take responsibility for our money, take responsibility for our life, like what is the potential? What is the possibility that we can we can do in the world? And it's just a really, I think one of the biggest things that people don't tell you about Bitcoin is because of that taking responsibility, it fundamentally changes your life. That initial, you know, taking it and like writing down all the codes and knowing that you're completely in control, there's this moment of fear. And then when you combat the fear or release it, suddenly you step into this tremendous amount of power. You know, you've never had full control of your money before in that way, unless like maybe if you had a pile of gold, but to be able to transact with people, to send money to people, to choose, you know, to choose to invest in this. It's like, it's a completely re-empowering state of being. Thank you for explaining all that. Because as soon as you said, if you trust the bank more than yourself, it clicked for me. That is how, and that is why you have married all these beautiful things together with Bitcoin and therapy and meditation and coaching. That's when it just now clicked for me, why and how you've been able to to bring these all together so seamlessly. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the transition to online banking and the use of Venmo gave people this, and PayPal, but I I believe that it gave people this false sense of being in control. Like I can just transfer the money whenever I want and, and and I can put it wherever I need it that week, whether it's in savings or if I need to pay somebody back with Venmo or PayPal. Do you feel like it's given people this false sense of security? for for being in control of of their finances? Definitely. It definitely has. I mean, of course, it's made it easier in certain ways because you don't have to go through the bank. But absolutely, it's like you're trusting another company um, with your money. And there are many examples of people being locked out of PayPal or being charged fines of up to $2,000 for doing things online, posting content that PayPal deemed was not in alignment with its you know policies and that could be that's very vague and so being locked out of your own bank or an account like paypal it's like you then can't access the money that is ultimately and legitimately yours but also who are they you know why do you trust them what are they doing with that money or when could they block you from that money how feasible is it that they're always going to be there it's just this it's this total sense of someone else take hold of this power over what I've got. And this is actually the issue, even if we take it to Bitcoin and crypto, is some of the um, organizations and institutions that collapsed last year. We had these, these institutions that collapsed like FTX, which has scared a lot of people in the space or outside the space too. But you, that was just people relying on another centralized organization. So another organization within the crypto space, but they held 
your coins for you. So we could we can see on so many levels how when you rely on someone else to hold your money, there is the possibility of you being blocked blocked from your money, that money disappearing without you knowing, you being charged for using your own money. Um, and so I do think that these online platforms, even in the traditional system, definitely give people a false sense of security and they don't really understand why they would need to take responsibility. Like why, you know, do you need to to make sure that your money is is in your hands and not susceptible to being blocked or controlled? So yes, <laughs> that's my answer. I, I certainly don't want to like start this conversation to scare anyone, but I it, it did scare me. And it scared me for two reasons. One, I was like, I lose my coffee every morning. How am I going to be able to handle that much money without the help of somebody else? One, but then two, it scared me because I realized how much control banks actually do have over our money. So whenever you buy crypto, and we can talk I would at least love to talk a little more about how somebody would even get started in purchasing Bitcoin, what that looks like. But whenever we got started, Mike was looking up all these crazy things online, like this chunk of metal that you had to like etch your, you know, your password into. And I was like, what the actual hell is this for? And I was like, are we burying it in the backyard? Like, what happens if there's a fire? And so there were all these new tools, I guess, that I had never seen or heard of that felt very archaic and kind of barbaric, like literally burying our password somewhere in our backyard on our property, because we are the only people who have that password. And like you, you can't go to a bank or you can't simply say, I just need to reset my password because there's nobody to reset it. You are the only person who has access to that. And Mike had told me and correct me if I'm wrong, but like if, you know, if you just simply wrote it on a post-it note and that post-it note was floating off into space, anybody can access your, your crypto. So in that sense, I felt very overwhelmed because of my ability to lose, like, it's like a gift, how quickly I can lose things. But it also made me really scared that the banks have that much that much control. I am not in control of my own money. So yeah, feel free to correct me, Tansy, if I like am out in left field here. No, you're, I mean, you're very right. And it's, it is the, it's a difficult part of being in the space is ultimately around all of our money, someone needs to be responsible for it. And either you can trust a bank or an institution and they can make it very easy for you by giving you the ability to reset a password so you can access it. But at any one time, you don't know really where your money is. You don't know if you'll be locked out of it. You don't, there's many places you can't send your money to. So there are banks that won't work with other banks in other countries. So one piece here is in the West we have, or in the North, you know, we have this kind of privilege that our banks do work mostly with lots of, uh, like, lots of local nations. But across the world, that's a different story. You know, banks don't often send money between countries and to do so would be really, really expensive. So people are losing huge amounts of money by trying to send through their bank. So there's the stability piece of having your money in a bank, but then at the same time, they could, they're kind of in control of it. But then there's also the, how do you move it out of the bank? You know, they have ultimate control and they can charge you huge fees to send it. So there's, there's that piece. But I do see that with Bitcoin, you can send it all over the world, like very cheaply, but obviously you are taking control of that password. And so what you need to do is go, okay, so, you know, which is the better, which is the sort of 
you have to balance balance that, right? And what I would say is, yes, if you write it down on a piece of paper and you lose it, you lose access to your wallet. Um, if someone else gets that, they can access your wallet. So you do have to be really considerate about where you put those codes. But for the majority of wallets, you only need to use those codes once when you set up the wallet. Or if you lose your computer, or if you lose your phone, you know, and you want to reestablish that wallet somewhere else, then you would need those original codes. Otherwise, normally it's just the same as you have your like a password, and that that's something you can easily remember. So there's not the, that kind of big barrier thought is not as prevalent actually as it sounds. So if you keep it somewhere very safe, just like you would with um, if you had like gold bullion or um, you know something very precious like your jewelry, you know we only have one of those. And if you have those at home or you have those in a safe, you just put your codes in the same place as those. So if you can be as responsible for your mother's ring or something that you have that's tangible, you can be responsible for a password that you just put safely. And you only need to use that if you need to reaccess your wallet on a different device. So you don't have to put it in every time. So that's just also something to be aware of. It's not as daunting as it first sounds. And the benefits that you get by kind of claiming that sovereignty of your money is really profound. And yeah, it's there's a lot of examples. And I definitely don't want to take us down a darker route, but there's definitely examples of banks, you know, blocking people out of their money. And it's really important to to have variety of resources. So, you know, you can have money in a bank, but also having some money in Bitcoin is a really good thing. I personally think having some money in gold is also a good thing. So you're creating diversity so that you have balance and support in all areas. And if you need to send money across the world, you can do that easily with Bitcoin. And we found that, you know, with Ukraine and with a lot of countries that, and in Afghanistan, where the traditional banking system wasn't working as it might normally, people were able to just take this code um, move countries and they would have access to all of their Bitcoin and they could buy things all over the world with this Bitcoin. So it's been incredibly powerful and supportive to human rights. And I think that's something that is often overlooked is the human rights organizations are actually using Bitcoin in order to get money to the people that are most vulnerable and most need it because all they need is a digital device. They don't need a bank. Uh, they don't need a working government. And so that's the power of Bitcoin. And we maybe have a certain amount of privilege that it doesn't, it doesn't feel as necessary. But for most people across the world, this is like Bitcoin is a lifeline. And that's why I think it's going to become even more important as the future moves on. That's fascinating because human rights was not something that I was thinking of when I was, you know, like when we're like laying in bed on our phones, looking at what Bitcoin did that week. But that is so powerful, Tansy. And I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I, I have so many questions. I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. One of my first questions that I think kind of ties into human rights is, this is probably a very elementary question, but does Bitcoin ever run out? Because I mean, you see like, not, not you, but we have seen wars break out, families fall apart, you, like just really awful things happen around this scarcity mindset of the money, the currency that we currently use. Does Bitcoin run out? And is one of the advantages of using Bitcoin that it it can't run out? Like, do you eliminate that scarcity mindset? No, it's a, an interesting point. Um, so actually, there is a limited amount of Bitcoin, and this is to combat the 
the um, aspects of inflation. So there are certain kind of qualities of money that we really look for. And one is like rarity. So in order to have a commodity that works well as a money, it needs to be durable. So it needs to last through time. It needs to be portable. So it needs to be able to be moved. It needs to hold its value. And for that, it needs to be rare. So if you had something like you know, a grain of sand, it's not going to hold its value through time because there's so much sand. You know, you have to have something that that does hold its value. And by creating a finite amount, you are ensuring that the value remains high, that, you know, you create a kind of slightly rare asset. Unlike, for example, something like the US dollar, which once it got um, separated from the gold standard, so there is an unlimited, basically, amount of dollars that can be printed. What happens is that because there isn't really an, like a kind of very sensible um, way of fully ensuring that a government limits how much they spend, they can print high, like very highly. And so we have this inflation. So every year um, they try to keep around 2%, but it often goes more than that. And at the moment, I think it's around 7%, which means that you're constantly devaluing your currency by printing more money. And by printing more money, obviously people near the printer get more money too. So there's this feeling of like, if you can keep creating um, money, it loses its value, right? And that's what inflation is. It's losing the value of the dollar because so much is being printed. And that has huge implications on many things. So when it comes to Bitcoin, it has the durability, it has the portability, and it has the value because it there is only 21 million Bitcoin and we've already mined. So the way that Bitcoin is produced is we say mining. So every 10 minutes, Bitcoin is mined and every four years there's a halving. So less Bitcoin is mined each time. And at the moment we are now, I think it's 94% of all Bitcoin that ever will exist has already been mined. So we're at around um, 19 and a half million Bitcoin exists. Um, but within each of those Bitcoin, there are 100 million Satoshis. So although the amount of Bitcoin is limited, there, there is a lot of Satoshis, there's a lot of denominations. So you can send at the moment micropayments, so tiny, tiny payments. But also as the value of Bitcoin increases, so too will those Satoshis. So it kind of it's an expanding, it's a kind of expanding currency, but it's only limited in how much can be created. My head feels like it's going to explode. I feel like I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning so much already. Tansy, one of the things that I'm I'm curious about, specifically in your work as a therapist, a mentor, a, a coach, and a guide, what are some really common, like top three common money blocks that you see a lot of women have to overcome, um, and men for that matter? But I think both of us work primarily with people who identify as as women, and so. I would love to know what are some of those really common money blocks that you see and how you kind of help people navigate that. I guess one of the first ones is not wanting to take responsibility. So that idea of just wanting to not be involved. So especially if someone has a partner and they're like, oh, I just don't, I'm just not interested. I just don't want to know about money. And that's a block to somebody bringing money into their life and having a good relationship with money. And so that we work through in terms of changing the way that we see money, to see it as energy, to see it as something that is um, that is neutral and to welcome it into our life and to welcome the opportunity to have that responsibility. Because we see that as we claim responsibility, we too become empowered. And so there's this beautiful dynamic that we can have. And 
the things that we, I think that appreciation is a really important value that we don't do enough. But the more that we can appreciate something, the more that it can flow back into our life. And so as we appreciate money and as we want to take the time to learn about it, as we want to take the time to, yeah, to explore it and take hold of it, the more it can flow into our life. So other money blocks I would say would be around not being able to make money. So there is a lot, I've seen a lot just around people being broke and just not having the ability to to make money, that they are very limited in how they can act because they don't have the money. And so there we really reorientate ourselves around like what is the belief there and then how can we, often it's related to a trauma of some sort of being maybe denied money or perpetual kind of sense of it happening. Like we're literally living out our fear that we don't have any money. And so we then have that belief and we stop having money. And so it's really important to reframe that belief and to, with that, I often kind of step into what it is that we want to claim. So do we want to change that? Do we want to invite money into our life? Do we want to be wealthy? Because wealth is abundant. Like there isn't you know, when we look at the the world around us, there is abundance everywhere. There is plenty for us. It's just whether we decide that we want to bring it into our, our world and our life. And so if we can actually step into a deep rooted mindset of calling the life that we want in, so really claiming our own sense of wealth and our sense of opportunities, they then often do come into our life. But it's also about the choices that we make around where we spend money and how we allocate resources. And also that's very linked to our own sense of self-value, which I do a lot of work on in bringing people back to the present, to releasing fears, to stepping into the possibility and just being present with oneself and valuing what you have around you and then being able to invite in from that space what you want. Um, And I would say another limiting belief is being a bad money manager, which is people feeling like they're not good with money, they have it and it just disappears straight back out. Um, and I would say that it's it's very similar what I would do with them as well. It's like bringing the power back to yourself, to your choices, to making conscious choices. And so again, all my work is bringing, when you are in your present state, this is where you have the most power. And then you can, um, you can make choices from that place and realize that you actually maybe didn't know how to manage money and so we can then go okay how how do we learn to do that or what are the tendencies why do we spend money um do you know to make us feel better so we do um we do a little exploration often of what lies underneath that money block and how we can heal it so yes that's what i would say i would say that in some ways That's the good thing about learning about Bitcoin and money is it really gives you this sort of detachment because Bitcoin is unusual and we're so familiar with money in terms of dollars that when you look at Bitcoin, because in order to understand what it is, you have to separate yourself from money because you don't understand it. So while you're learning about Bitcoin, you end up learning about money, often kind of unconsciously. You're like, oh, I didn't know that that's what money was. It's just this kind of exchange. And I didn't realize what our system was. And I didn't realize it wasn't backed by gold or all of these things. And suddenly by learning about Bitcoin, you begin to separate yourself from the money. You begin to understand your relationship to the money. And then you can make a choice whether you want to buy Bitcoin or what, you know, even 
if you don't want to, it doesn't matter. It's just like you start to open up to new possibilities. So Tansy, I'm really curious, what limiting beliefs did you have? So we've, we've heard what you typically hear in this, in this world that you're in. What were some of the personal limiting beliefs that you had starting this journey, coming into this space? Really, I mean, you're doing a lot of the groundwork that hasn't been done yet, which is educating people on what Bitcoin is. And like you said, like how how it reflects how you interact with yourself and your own self-worth and, and energy. What, w- what did that look like for you? So I think my limiting beliefs were really around my ability to create change. Um, my ability to, in order, like I actually had a resistance to making money because I felt like if I made money, I would lose it or I would be really depressed and stressed. And the reason for that is a close relative of mine um, works in a job that's very high powered and very, very stressful and has done since I was very young and hates his job, but makes an, an enormous amount of money. And I just saw the impact of pursuing money that it looked so horrific that I just sort of decided not to go down that route. So I kind of didn't have money for a long time. But also my father, unfortunately, we had a huge money issue in my family. So my father was a best-selling author. Um, He was called Michael Bajan and he wrote The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. And Dan Brown stole a lot of his work for the Da Vinci Code. And so we ended up taking taking him to court. And because of the system. We had terrible lawyers. We had, there was so much that went wrong when we were trusting other people that we ended up losing the case. And my father lost everything that he had ever made. So we lost our house. We lost, he lost his whole sense of value, which was really pivotal for me to see how our relationship to money can destroy you. If you believe that your value is so linked to what you have, if you lose what you have, you know, I saw it break him apart. I That was also part of the reason why I fell out of love with law and systems because I saw that it didn't, it didn't work. It was inherently corrupt. I couldn't trust it. So I definitely had issues around trusting these frameworks that I thought were there to support us. For example, governments with the environment to see that they aren't supporting us with protecting the environment, that I thought the law was there to protect us and then seeing that it really wasn't. And then to see that actually, if you built up money, you could easily lose it. And if you are connected to that money in a deep, profound way or rely on it, you could be destroyed. And so I had really (laughs) fundamentally limiting beliefs where my beliefs prevented me from wanting to be in this, in this, as part of the system. So that drove me to working on my own and this sort of sense of lack of trust around, around money being like not being lost, but in my reclaiming of my own value and my separation of my value from monetary value and to realize that everything is this lesson that everything teaches you and helps to guide you, that it drew me into a different relationship with money and a welcoming and to see that it's not money's fault, you know, that there was just these things happen And that when I step into my power and I recognize my power, I ask for the money that I need and that I know that I want for myself, then I can ask for that and I can receive it. And it's not related to my personal value. It's just that because I'm in my value, I can ask for what I need. And I think that's really where it comes to. And I'm happy to become successful 
or make lots of money. I don't believe that I'm going to lose it. But even if I did, I have no sense of fear around that because I know fundamentally that the truest value that I'm ever going to have is in myself. Tansy, thank you so much for sharing that story. I can only imagine how traumatic that would have been to watch. What, how, how old were you when all that happened with your father? Um, I was between 19 and 21. So. so still really, really formative years, but we have two two kids and we're at that age where we're trying to teach them the power of money. And actually, so for example, this weekend, my son decided that he wanted to buy a duffel bag. Why is unbeknownst to me, but he wanted to buy a duffel bag to pack all of his climbing gear in. And he became really obsessed with it. And so I said, well, this one costs $50. This one costs, you know, 14. I said, here are a few ways that you can make money right now. And if you make it, I'll go take you to, to buy it. And so it was really fascinating as his mom to get to guide him on, on this. He sold seven eggs because we, we have chickens. He sold eggs. And then we kind of came up with these ideas, which he didn't like because he really wanted to start a business instead of just doing something to make money. He thought he had to have this business. And I said, well, if you clean my car, then I can pay you. How much money do you want? He said, well, how much do I need? And so um, I told him, well, you need $7. My car was spotless by like within an hour. He had cleaned my car. He had all the money he needed. And we, we went and bought this duffel bag and he was, there was so much pride, but it, it is really interesting to be a mom and to be teaching my kids about money, but also being a daughter and having witnessed my parents' relationship with money and your family's background with money and your cultures, you know, like I grew up in West Virginia. And so there was a lot of, um, it's one of the poorest states in the country. And that shows in the way that a lot of people talk about money, how they don't have it, how they wish they had it. And it was just this, like, it was culturally accepted to just talk about how much you did not have. And so I can only imagine how traumatic that, that was for you to watch your, your, your dad go through this experience that he had to go through for his own life's journey and purpose. But thank you so much for sharing that because that was that's really powerful. And and I commend you for doing the work because a lot of people I think don't realize how hard it is to do work around money mindset because it's it's never about money, right? Like it's always about your own inherent self-worth. And so doing work around money and money mindset, it's very challenging. And I really commend you for, for doing that and for going to those dark spaces and places to figure out where is my self-worth? If it's not in this exchange of energy and money and value, where is it? Where does it come from? And how can I nurture that and trust that the money is going to show up? Yeah, thank you for sharing that um, or saying that. But And I think that this is why... Something I often say to people is your pain becomes your power. So when you are confronting the things that are really challenging in your life is, you know, in, in sort of shamanic ways or Jungian ways, we see that as the great teacher because often it's something that you are really deeply learning so that you can then embody that and to actually it becomes a power within you that you can then share and support others and to show people that it can get really dark but it's not the end you know that actually sometimes we have to get really dark to find the light to really know what actually really does have value and we can have that in all different ways and I had it around money and I guess like the institutional structures it was all kind of collated and I had spent my childhood working up to 
wanting those sorts of things to work for me. And when they didn't, it was a really devastating moment of loss and lack of purpose um, because I had trusted the law as well. And then to see that law couldn't support me. Um, There's just a lot in that whole experience that really was formative and really threw me off a pathway that I thought I really wanted. And it just shows that you can keep hitting these bottoms. You think this is what I want and you get knocked off and you can't really quite understand why you got knocked off and why you have to start again. But when I look back over my life, when I lived it, I didn't know where I was going. But looking back, I can see why I was led through all of these different areas, because I would never have got to this point where I am now in terms of really supporting others in, in, in being in their light and being in their heart and really being able to express and live through that. And if I had stayed, if I hadn't gone through this, maybe I would have made money in being a lawyer, but I wouldn't have found the kind of joy that I have now. And so I am grateful for every one of my traumas, every one of my limiting beliefs that I did manage to confront and overcome. And that takes work and you will have more, but that takes work. But actually there becomes a joy. You become like a ball of fire and everything that comes, you're like, okay, a new one to confront. And you do that with this sense of sort of joy and acceptance and willingness. And you start to look around at you and see that everybody is confronting the same thing, but there's a kind of joy in the ride. You know, there's a joy in what you are accomplishing because as you are going through it, you are stripping away these old pieces and you are stepping more into who you are and want to become. And I think that's really what all my work is about is who are you and what is it that you want to do and become, but also how do we bring that to the wider world? What is it that we want for this world? And I ask people about this, you know, when you think about restriction, resistance, control, domination versus openness, freedom, love, potential, expansion, ease, you know, it's like, where do you sit in terms of what you want for the future? And for me, Bitcoin is just an articulation of that monetary sense. It's like you're moving away from control and restriction to openness and expansion and self-determination. And so it really doesn't matter what you choose, but you, it is your choice. And the more that we can all realize that we have choice, that we have agency and actually what world do we want to walk into? What world do you want for your children? That is encouraging everyone to step into their possibility and the potential. And with that sense of freedom and self-direction, because if we do that, you know, anything is possible. But if we stay choosing kind of restriction and domination, we then also ultimately won't be able to fully live from our power either. So, but you can choose. I mean, we've all, society has been choosing the domination and restriction for a long time. But what I do see is there's a movement with the internet, with Web3, with Bitcoin, there is this feeling of openness. And maybe that's as we are moving into the age of Aquarius, there's this feeling of like expansiveness, of possibility of where can we go? And let's tether ourselves to that, like tether ourselves here and extend ourselves there rather than focusing on where we've come from and the fears that we've held and stop letting that control us. And the reason why I can say this and why I teach is because of my own experiences and my own moving through all of the different pieces of my life and finding peace. 
and joy in that process? It was 2019 and my, my husband quit his, his corporate job. And, you know, I think a lot of times when, especially entrepreneurs, when we move in, when we shift into this space of like, we are our our own moneymaker and the harder we work, the more we make. And there's this, this freedom and this liberation, but there's also a lot of stress and pressure to perform, to show up. And it was really interesting watching Mike because as he started opening his palms and just releasing that control of like having to work, having to hustle, hustling equals money, busy equals money. As soon as he started letting go, all these really aligned, incredible clients started showing up. Like he didn't even have time. He's a, he's a designer and he didn't even have time to create a website, a portfolio, a resume. They all just showed up and it wasn't until he just let go and was like, I'm going to pursue what I love and the money will show up. And every time that we've done that as a couple, and every time I've seen friends do this, just release their palms, open up to whatever can show up. As soon as that happens, that's when that energy really starts to show up. That's when that money exchange starts to come into, I know, our lives and other people's lives. But the the harder I hustle, the less I make, the more miserable I, I am, the more roadblocks I feel like I'm running into. And I feel super proud because I have shifted into this space of just relinquishing. And it's hard, of course, especially as somebody who's recovering from placing a lot of value on how much I made and how successful my business could be to let that go. And of course the the pendulum has to swing, right? Like you can't go from like hustling to I'm gonna do nothing and I'm just gonna, you know, watch Netflix for four years. And you know, like that that doesn't work either. And so I'm at this stage where I'm trying to figure out where the pendulum is going to land and what this balance looks like for me from doing what I love and pursuing work that I love and also just trusting that the money is going to show up without me having to you know, work myself into, as you talked about your friend earlier, just complete misery and exhaustion and depriving myself of time with, you know, with people that I love. So I would love to know, Tansy, for the listeners, and I'm sure that there's a lot out there since this is a relatively new form of currency, what what advice or tips do you have for people who are interested in getting started with, with Bitcoin? Like, where do you start? Where do you purchase it? Where do you, how much of your income should you, which I doubt that you can give that, that advice, but how much, you know, should you invest in? It's just, it's a very, again, I know I said it at the beginning, but very uncharted territory for, for a lot of us. Okay. So what I would say is first, I would really love for anyone who wants to get involved in Bitcoin to commit to learning about it, just like we would with anything else. Learning helps to give us confidence and helps to give us um, a sense of peace around um, around whatever we're doing. So any kind of investment, if you're thinking about buying Bitcoin as an investment, rather than not just to sort of use, then just like any other investment, make sure that you are you can stand behind it and that you love what it is and you like it and you're comfortable with it because it fluctuates in price and the amount of people who get into Bitcoin and then, you know, they don't, they say, oh, I don't mind if it drops 50% and then it does. And then they, you know, that becomes a whole nother level of anguish. And it's, that needs to just try to, try to come into Bitcoin with this understanding that it is an amazing, it is amazing financial tool and that it's still in its infancy in terms of its growth. 
but obviously like having diversification is really important so what i would say is if you once you've done that and you want to get into bitcoin always start with a smaller amount so the best strategy is called dollar cost averaging and what that means is buying small amounts often so that could be buying $10 or $15 every week or every two weeks or $50 a month, but just spreading out your buys and buying in little bits because you're dealing with a fluctuating asset. You don't know at what price when you're getting in, whether it's going to go up or down. So rather than putting you know $2,000 in in one go at a particular price and it could drop 50%, could also rise 50%. But um, if if you're if you're using it as a long-term investment, you just want to spread out how when you buy it so that you get the kind of the the most neutral price across time. So I would really, really recommend you to dollar cost averaging and the ways to get in. So although I've talked about these uh, centralized companies, a bit like banks of the crypto space, that we should be cautious of them, we should. But in order to get into the space, there are certain kind of organizations that work best with your bank and then once you've got it in there you can move it elsewhere so one of these is called coinbase which is a very kind of typical centralized wallet where you can bring dollars into the space into into the wallet just like you would a bank or you just send dollars in and then you can buy bitcoin straight in there and you can set up dollar cost averaging within coinbase itself but then what i would do is when you ever have a certain amount over sort of 500 dollars I would send that to a wallet that is wholly yours. And that's what we're talking about, fully decentralized. This is your wallet, your codes, your keys. Because with Coinbase, it holds those keys. So you you can ask them for a new password. So once you've got sort of a minimum of $500, I would then send that to another um, wallet, for example, something like Ledger, which you are in control of your keys and only you have control. And so the, the majority of the Bitcoin that you have will be stored somewhere where you are sole custodian. But to bring it in, you can use one of these centralized places, so like Coinbase or Swan Bitcoin. And so that's how I would recommend to do it. Uh, so not going in in one go, but just knowing how much you want to invest, say, over the year and then buying in little bits throughout the year until you get there. Perfect. Okay. So first is learn about it and educate yourself. Cause I, I agree. Education is empowerment. And the more that, you know, the more wonderful things that you can do. Second is start with a smaller amount of the dollar cost averaging and buy small, but often. And third is using a company like Coinbase, which we actually use Coinbase. And then once you get over $500, send it to a centralized wallet and we can put the the links to those um, tools in the in the uh, show notes as well. But I would love to know, Tansy, since you mentioned the educating portion, what are you offering right now, both on your with your therapy side of your of your talents and business, and with your Bitcoin side of your business? What are you offering right right now? If somebody wanted to work with you, um, of course, we'll put your websites in the show notes. But do you have anything coming up, going on that people can reach out to you about? So um, I do have two websites. So on my healing website, which is Tansy Alexandra, I offer all my different healing modalities. So shamanic healing, counseling, tarot reading. So all of the sort of spiritual aspects uh, of self-empowerment, I would go there. Uh, in terms of all of the courses around Bitcoin, 
I have uh, a company called The Crypto Ethic. And on there, you can book an initial consultation with me. You can book money and mindset consultation calls or a package where we can work through your money mindset and help to heal and release your fears. And I teach you, I can teach you about Bitcoin through one-to-one mentoring. However, I do recommend being part of our community, which is over on Mighty Networks. And there we have different offerings where every month I have a, a class that I teach and also a mindset and manifestation workshop. And I also am teaching a Bitcoin masterclass on the 2nd of April, which is just for women. And then I do this flagship Bitcoin program called Bitcoin Beginner to Basic Trader. And so I take you through everything that you need to know about Bitcoin and why it's important to learning about crypto, all the other cryptocurrencies, NFTs, Web3, just having an understanding of where Bitcoin fits in terms of the greater crypto space, because that's important to know. But in terms of sort of initial investment, like I really focus around Bitcoin in terms of your learning because it is the most important um, of the cryptocurrencies. And in the last month, I teach you how to read a financial chart and how to put in basic trades so you can take even more control over your money by basically being able to trade if you wanted to learn how to do that. And that is taking place on the 7th of May and it's a three-month program. And we also have, I host with a good colleague of mine, uh, the Crypto Ethic um, podcast on YouTube. So you can go onto YouTube and find the Crypto Ethic. And we release a video every week and we talk about things that are happening in the crypto space. And we break down different concepts like the Lightning Network or Bitcoin or blockchains or uh, staking. So we, we kind of delve into different topics each time uh, or talk about fear and power and money. So. Yeah. That is so wonderful. Tansy, I am just, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for what you're doing in our community. And I always end our our calls on this question, but I would love to know when is the last time that you did not feel like enough? Gosh, (laughs) probably it was even this morning. I'm going to be fully honest and say that I can definitely think sometimes go to a place where I think I could do more I could have more offerings I could do more and then I have to check myself and be like this is you not being enough and I had that very moment of in like inquiry this morning so (laughs) yeah well thank you for your honesty it's so refreshing and I I agree anytime that little little voice sneaks up in my head that is like, what are you doing? Why are you reading? Why are you enjoying a cup of tea? You you have so much that you could be doing. There's a lot of potential here and yet you're wasting it. So I, I really appreciate your honesty. And I so, so appreciate this conversation. I'm a little sad because I feel like we barely scratched the surface of what what is inside of you, TNZ. I just I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours, but I so appreciate you making time to 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 do this and for our listeners. And of course, we will put how to how to contact TNZ in the show notes. But thank you so much for being here today. Oh, Taylor, it was such a pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on this amazing podcast of yours. And it's just, yeah, a real pleasure. And I really love listening to all the work that you're doing too. Likewise, TNZ. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on The Fearless Vampire.